as a leader, I think that's the that's the critical critical point. And there's always from everybody you deal with here, whether it's the newest EMT or whether it's an old guy like me, there is something to be learned from everybody, whether it's from their life experience, their work experience. Um, there's always something to be learned. And I think it's it's vitally important as a leader to, to really listen. episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hello and welcome back to this week's EMS One Stop. I'm Rob Lawrence and uh, what I'm going to be doing in the future is to have at least once a month have a notable leader on the show to talk about their career, to talk about their top tips for leadership, to talk about their hopes and fears for the future. And I began that uh, last week or the week before with uh, our good friend Rob Luckwitz down from uh, Austin Travis, and that was a great show, and people are really uh, saying they enjoyed his insight and his thoughts. So I've gone from the the young buck to one of our oldest uh, uh, grandees of uh, the EMS world, and I'm, of course, talking about my good friend, Superintendent Joe O'Hare, from Boston EMS. Joe, thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm going to do the set the scene story because I love telling the story of where we first met. And that goes back down, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but uh, we had just won the bid to host the UCI World Championships, Cycling World Championships. First time it had happened in the US in 15 years. And we were doing lots of prep. We were talking to lots of people. We obviously had a major you know, international event on our hands. And you very kindly came down from Boston to brief our unified command team about your experiences of obviously managing uh, major sporting events, managing major events. And obviously it was in the aftermath of the Boston bombing. And we got a lot of takeaways from you that we managed to incorporate into our plans. So once again, thank you for doing that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a story that we've told, of course, you're a returning guest on this podcast and you told us the Boston marathon story and we shared some of our own kind of uh, bombing, um, you know, uh, stories from, from my London experience as well. But the reason you're on today is that uh, this is actually bittersweet for me, Joe, because this is both hello and goodbye. So what are you up to? Well, so after uh, a total of 44 years in EMS and uh, 31 years here in uh, at Boston EMS, I'm, I'm actually going to be retiring in a couple of days uh, so um, uh, I'm moving on. I don't know quite to where yet, uh, but after 44 years and substantial part of my adult life, uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be walking away. Uh, and it is bittersweet. You're you're exactly right. It's uh, it's a difficult move to make, but I think at my age and in my time served, so to speak, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's the right thing for my family and I to. To, to move on. Let me share something for myself and obviously my other EMS One podcast to hear Chris Ceballero, you know, you give up one job and you end up getting six. So I don't think we've heard the last of you and uh, the phone does tend to ring and I hope you, you're able to pick and choose some some stuff that's going to help to benefit the, the industry perhaps. Yeah, I think that'll be the case. I've already had uh, I've already had some offers and, uh, you know, the, the, the good part about that is, is I can still keep my hands in EMS 
Uh, I have a lot of, you know, a lot of experience, um, most of it good, uh, you know, but like all of us, we've learned, we've learned uh, how to manage things in, in the course of our careers. Sorry about the sirens. Um, no, it's a great but, soundtrack of Boston life. Uh, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> no, so, uh, you know, I, I, I want to keep in, uh, keep my hands in EMS and, and I've had some offers. The good news about being retired from the city is that, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, I have a pension coming from them and I, I'll be able to, to pick and choose uh, where I do, where I go, what I do, um, and, and still trying to make some kind of contribution into, uh, into the service. It's, uh, it's good being a pensioner. I have to say, being an, an old soldier, the Queen is actually paying me now for talking to you. So uh, thanks to your majesty for that. But uh, of course, you know, this isn't a job, it's a way of life. And, and I hope we don't... Uh, you know, we don't lose touch, and I know we won't. First thing first, you've had an illustrious career in EMS. You've seen some things that uh, some of us, for some of us, may make our toes curl and make us wince. But uh, give us a little sort of potted history of, you know, give us an O'Hare 101 of where did it all start and uh, where have you been? So, you know, I, I've actually not moved around a whole lot. Um, I've had uh, a couple of EMS jobs uh, prior to coming to Boston EMS. Um, it all started in 1978. I was a 21-year-old kid. Um, with much more hair and, and, and brown and single and living the good life. Um, my, I, I come from a family of public servants. My father was a police officer and then went to the fire department. Um, I have other family members who are police officers and, and in the fire service. Um, EMS as a separate agency at the time wasn't really something, uh, wasn't really a, a thing that we saw a whole lot. Many, many fire departments, you know, took care of the municipal ambulance services. Um, so I, I started at a private ambulance service like most do. And, and back certainly in the in the late 70s, it was uh, mostly mom and pop operations, right? So often, you know, a couple or would, would start their own ambulance service and they'd contribute to their, you know, to their locality. And they would, uh, they would provide you know, facility transfers and taking people home from the hospital or rehab. Um, so I did that for about a year, a year and a half or so. And then we had a change here in, in the Commonwealth of Mass where, you know, there, there was a, a tax change which affected municipalities and their public safety budgets. So it was really the first time we had started to see private ambulance services starting to contract with cities to provide 911 service. Within a couple of years of my hire, I moved to um, the same company, uh, which is sadly now defunct, but, you know, I moved into a suburb of Boston where we provided uh, initially three BLS ambulances because ALS really hadn't come to its own yet. Um, and then eventually, after about a year, we had two BLS trucks and uh, an ALS truck to serve, you know, uh, a fairly good-sized suburb of the city. You know, I, 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 was, there for, I was there for 13 years in total, um, and then a friend of mine, actually a co-worker of mine now, said, you know, we really should, we should really go to Boston. And I, I and I looked at it and this was back in the, the very late eighties, early 90. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of violence in the city at the time. Um, sadly, it, not unlike now. And, you know, the, the pay difference was really minimal at the time. It was a union shop, but not, um, the pay scale was about the same. And, and honestly, you know, when I worked in the suburb, it was a I worked three 24-hour shifts. I slept most nights. You know, there were days I went to work and didn't turn a wheel, uh, which was which was a good thing. Um, but we came to the city. It's, it was a very competitive process uh, to get here. Uh, 
um, out of uh, 300 or so applicants. And, um, you know, I tested and I managed to, uh, to get a job here. So, uh, and I've been here a little, just a little over 31 years at this point, uh, rising through the ranks. Everybody here at Boston EMS, regardless of their certification status, starts as, a, uh, as an EMT. Uh, they go through our academy, uh, which is much different now than it was back then. Uh, but, and then, and then once you hit the street, um, paramedic is a promotional process and it, an internship process. And from there, I was promoted to a deputy superintendent. I was a field ship commander. And um, after a couple of years of that, I, I moved to a dispatch operations center where I managed uh, our 911 EMS call taking and dispatching of city ambulances and also our regional radio system, which serves 61 cities and towns to allow ambulances and hospitals to, uh, to talk to each other via radio. And then about six years ago, I, uh, I went back, well, I went back to the field briefly um, on nights, which, you know, when you hit, when you hit, uh, you know, 58, 59, 60, that's a little more difficult than when you were in your thirties. But uh, I, I managed, I was promoted into this superintendent of operations job here, which still oversees dispatch. Um, but it, it also oversees the, the entire field. So that's where I've been for the last six years. First of all, I have to just go back to something. That, that station that uh, you got a full night's sleep at, in the UK, those stations are known as Olympic flame stations, right? Because they never go out. So everybody <laughs> wanted to be in the Olympic flame station. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to, to, to leadership and your thoughts on that in a minute. And uh, take us back to that fateful day when you're getting prepared for the marathon. Um, it's something that Boston has done for a long time and done very, very well. And then thanks to uh, two uh, terrorists, it all went terribly wrong, Joe. So give us some reflections on that day. Sure. So, you know, the Boston Marathon is is probably the second largest uh, event that we, that we do here in the city. It's pretty close competition between Independence Day on the 4th of July and the Boston Marathon. Um, you know, it's been going on for a hundred years. Uh, we, uh, we had a very good group of people, um, you know, slowly, but surely we would staff, we would staff, you know, initially back in the day, it was, you know, a, a group of medical tents and, and some field personnel out on foot, uh, with a couple of ambulance stacked here. The, you know, the Boston Marathon is 26.2 miles, but really it's only the last two miles that, that occur within the city of Boston. So, um, it, it all, it all comes to us from, uh, from the, the town of Hopkinton, west of the city. And, you know, it, uh, you know, we develop plans over the years. I think like most, uh, good agencies, we, we look at after action reports and we look at what folks in the field have to say. And we look at it, it, the needs of the service. How many patients did we see? How many patients needed to be transported? Uh, because unlike most days in, in most EMS services, our goal with these big events is really not to transport people, is to kind of treat them where they are um, and if, if they're sufficiently well to release them on their own and not transport them to a hospital. So, so we, you know, it was kind of a standard protocol as we went along. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holiday here, so there are many, um, there are many families in town. It's very crowded. And, uh, but you know, the weather is always, is always the factor. We've had days where it's been in the forties and pouring rain and snow flurries. And, and then we've had days where it was near a hundred degrees. So, 
you know, we, we always adjust on the fly for that, but it's, it's become a much larger event. So in 2013, uh, it, it was really no different than, than any other, any other marathon that we've done. Our captain, um, Bob Haley, who was in charge of our special operations. And in fact, really, you know, brought our special operations to life um, years prior uh, was the master uh, at logistics. And he's, he's that guy that, that everybody has, has a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. And and, and that was, that was Rob Haley. He, uh, he knew who to call no matter what the, no matter what the request was or what the need was, he knew who he knew who to talk to. So it, it all went well during the course of the day. We have a very large medical station staffed by hundreds of volunteers, um, both medical and non-medical. Uh, our physicians uh, from our from our staff are, are on scene, and we manage all of the medical consequences from when they enter the city uh, all along the route for that last couple of miles. Um, and that day, I was I was down there on the on the scene for a while checking in, making sure everything was good. Then I went back to our dispatch operations center, um, which was my primary function at the time, made sure that, you know, made sure that our folks were all good. We had staffed up. We had plenty of ambulances. We had plenty of folks out on foot, and gators, and um, everything was good to go. And, and as you mentioned, it, it just, it all went sideways um, very quickly. Um, you know, I think most of us took a deep breath and, and then I think you do what most people in EMS do is you, you revert right back to your training. Um, so, you know, we watched this unfold, the first explosion, uh, the casualties from that. And then just seconds later, the second explosion up the street um, and a lot of panic and, and, you know, folks trying to get out of the area. But I think what was what was telling to us is is our people, you know, our people, despite the imminent threat, went right to work. They, they went right to these patients. And, and really, there were a fair amount of bystanders who, who went there as well. And, and what can I do to help? What can I do, you know, to assist? What do you need? Is there anything I can do for you? So, you know, we saw really the best of, of what we believe is, is our city um, at the time. Uh, we're, you know, there, were, there was some loss of life, which was tragic, um, three right then and there. Um, you know, two young women and, and, and a child, but, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of devastating injuries, uh, you know, with limb amputations and et cetera. And, um, everybody else other than the three that were killed at the time uh, at the explosion, um, the rest all survived. And, you know, we, in our dispatch center, we coordinate transports for large events, uh, in order to not transport multiple seriously injured red tag patients to the same hospital, because, you know, you take two or three people with, with, you know, limb amputations into the same hospital, no matter how good or big they are, uh, you know, they, they're very quickly overwhelmed. So we, we distributed those patients pretty evenly. We're very fortunate here in Boston. We have uh, five level one trauma centers. We have two burn centers. Um, so, into uh, well, three three pediatric hospitals. So we were very fortunate. Our transport times were short here. Where Boston's a, a small city geographically, though densely populated. Um, so you know everybody just went right to work, and uh, 
they did what they had to do. We coordinated the response and, uh, you know, and, and, and it became in the end, it became a, a five day affair. Um, it was a crime scene. Obviously there were lots of law enforcement, um, assets on scene, fire department resources on scene. Uh, so, you know, our, our guys did in the first rule of EMS is always right. It's the scene safe, right? We see it at every exam. We see it in every drill. It's the scene safe. And this was a scene that was absolutely unsafe. And the first thing that went out on the radio from, from Captain Haley was have our units stand their ground till we get a better, uh, till we get a better look at this. And, and I'm watching them all on the big screen, jumping over fences, applying tourniquets, doing the things they do. Uh, despite, you know, the police officers were trying to get our people out of there because there were backpacks everywhere. Any one of those could have been a, a another device. Um, but we quickly mobilized our own folks. We brought in uh, our, our EMS partners from the private services. Um, so we had lots of resources on scene and, and cleared and cleared both scenes actually within within 30, 30 somewhat minutes with all all of the critically injured and, and seriously injured patients were transported pretty quickly. It was the great General Omar Bradley, I don't know if you knew this, that said, amateurs talk strategy, professionals talk logistics. And so you have absolutely brought that point home. And of course, it was General von Moltke back in 1870-something or the other, who said that no plan survives contact with the enemy. And you just really covered those two points. And those are time-honoured adages that we all need to pay attention to. When these things happen, people react um, immediately, the opposition haven't read our plans and aren't going to abide by our plans, practices, tactics, and procedures. And so, you know, we have to be prepared to react to that. A couple of things I want to pick out before we go to the break, though, is that you had said the guys reverted to training. And so you were trained hard in order to meet the challenges of that day. I'm assuming it's in terms of briefings, in terms of tabletops. And so how do you prepare for an event before it happens? You know, at Boston EMS, we're very fortunate. We have a, uh, a very good training division headed up by, by one of my counterpart superintendents and, you know, some very experienced and knowledgeable training captains and, and training officers. And, and at Boston EMS, we actually train nine months out of the year um, and on any given Friday. Um, everybody is scheduled to work and a third of those people uh, on each shift are scheduled to go to training. So instead of going to their usual ambulance assignment for their day tour, their night tour, um, they, they will, they will report to training. And so that allows us, um, you know, a full eight hour shift, um, to make sure that we get folks updated on policies and procedures and new medical, uh, you know, new medical, uh, treatments that, that are always evolving. Uh, new equipment that we may have purchased. And, and we start that right from the first day when we hire a recruit academy. Um, they're already EMTs when we hire them. Um, but, you know, our goal is to mold them into uh, to Boston EMS EMTs. And, and mass casualty uh, incidents are, are, are part of that training right, right from the get-go. And that continues even, you know, for me, after 31 years, I'm still, I'm, I still go to training once a month. So... Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, nobody else knows the plan, but we do tabletops. We do scenario based. We we have we have a great relationship with our public safety partners here, and that includes local and federal authorities. 
uh, we will do we'll do tabletop exercises. Uh, we we do a lot of uh, certainly active shooter training now. Um, and that gets done at the police academy in a closed school building, where police officers will come in, um, the fire service will come in, and and we will run very realistic uh, scenarios and uh, and and bring our folks in, rotate them through. So they understand everybody else's role and, 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 and knowing people's roles are, are really important in a mass casualty incident. Uh, you know, knowing what you can expect from your counterpart at a different agency um, is vitally important and, and having them understand what, what our, our principal, you know, treatments and, and protocols are is, is also really important. You've just highlighted the benefits, and I've certainly enjoyed this as well, Joe, is the benefits of an exceptionally well-functioning unified command process following uh, NIMS, following ICS, following and, and actually a team that have trained together, that work together, are familiar with each other, and actually the camaraderie to get the job done is there, and you've just illustrated uh, those points. And uh, that's certainly something that hopefully, you know, you saw when you came to see us way back when, that was our tight-knit community realizing we had still lessons to learn and actually grow to grow together. I must actually just give a plug to a Police One webinar that uh, I was very fortunate to be the the, uh, the MC of a few a month or so ago where we got all of my old Unified Command team from Richmond, would you believe, and we had a webinar where we discussed the first 15 minutes of disaster, how to command, control, gather, get over the fog of war, start laying down some command and control and actually I have to say and I have to, to brag on the team that it was actually the highest attended webinar that police one had ever had because That's we don't fun. whilst you and I you know have have had great experiences with that unified command structure others need to understand where to start and that's actually by tabletop training familiarization etc um you know w- what are your thoughts on that well I you know I agree I I think that as we as we learned early on uh, many years ago, the the time to make and build relationships um, is not in the middle of you know an active scene such as the marathon bombing. The the time to develop those relationships uh, comes long before that. Again, so that there's some familiarity from every agency about what other agencies are responsible for or what their capabilities are. And, and I think that's a really, really big piece of it where, um, you know, we work very closely with the Boston Police Department here at Boston EMS. Uh, we work with the fire department all the time. And, and so understanding, you know, when I when I go into any scene, regardless of, of what it may be, uh, it's very likely that I'm going to know the commander there or, you know, even the street officers uh, and, and everybody in between. And, and it's not the time to be handing business cards out. It's not the time to be introducing each other. It's it's the time to say, okay, hey Joe, how you doing? What do you what do you need from us? What you know, what you know, what do you what do you guys? What what's your plan? How are you going to move forward? And and really, I think for us, that's uh, certainly over the course of my career, that's something that that I I, I can't stress enough how valuable that that is in the unified command where. Uh, everybody is in the same place. The bosses, you know, will make those decisions based on their field personnel and, and their input. Um, so really, that's that's the, the, the critical piece of, of any large bet. 
I just had my mic muted there while you were saying that, and I, I just wrote down, shouldn't exchange business cards at scene of crime. And so you got a massive amen from me on that one, and I firmly believe that one too. We're already developing some massive takeaways from this, which we'll put in the show notes, Joe. Before we go any further, though, um, we're going to take a second just to go to a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L. Thank you for that. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. And also, don't forget, if you are enjoying this, please give us a rating on the platform in which you are listening to us on. So I'm back with Joe O'Hare, Superintendent Joe O'Hare, Boston EMS. Um, We've already had some amazing lessons identified and learned and some takeaways, Joe, and thank you for that. But let's talk about leadership for a second. And you mentioned there is a sort of a a career pathway in your organization. But if for the up and coming leaders of tomorrow, what are your, you know, top few leadership top tips and advice you'd like to pass on to them? I think on my on my end, I, I think, you know, when it comes to leadership, uh, I've always believed in in leading from the front, right? It's it's not sitting in your office sending out protocols or directives or it, it's go out and 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 talk to your folks and, and be there during calls, even minor calls. You know, we, uh, I always found that most of our crews don't need help at a, at a very active scene of, you know, of violence or whatever. It's go to the minor illnesses that, that we do hundreds of every day and talk to your crews and maybe carry the equipment and carry the patient if necessary. Um, I always believe that, that, I know when I was a, a new EMT and having a, a supervisor or command staff member there with me, not to look over my shoulder, but, you know, to, to support me and, and, and make sure that I was getting, you know, I was getting the job done and, the, and the, any of my needs were met at the time. So I think that's critically important. Um, I think it goes back again to the relationship piece of it. We deal here with many private agencies, um, like any larger city, you know, we have um, large real estate developers, you know, they own a mall or they own multiple high rise buildings and they do evacuation drills. And it's very important to be part of that. And, and we work with them all the time. And, and as a leader, I think it's really important, again, to be present and to explain, uh, you know, what your capabilities are. So they they have a sense of what that what that may be. Um, and what they may need and what you can and can't provide. I, I think it's just as important to let people know that this is not something that we do or it's not in our wheelhouse, and, but I'll, I'll connect you to somebody who, who can do that. And I think the other part, um, I, I actually just finished up a program over at Harvard University, um, a leadership program, and what I found was it, it was a, a large cohort of, of people from Every industry, from private industry, the, the CDC, the, the, the federal government, local and state governments, where, again, you bring all of these people together and you look at their, at, 
at their experiences in their particular discipline and, and how does that apply and how does that meld into what you may do? Um, we looked at what we called intentional attacks and, and whether it's necessarily terrorism related or if you choose to put another name to it, uh, that's, that, that's fine. Uh, but how do you deal with that? And, and really go to the communities and say to the communities, this is what you can do to be prepared. This is what you can do, especially in the aftermath, right? So no matter what happens in any big event, um, you know, the tragic, you know, mass shootings that have been occurring um, over the years and especially lately, uh, how, how does a, a community or an industry, how do they recover from that? So, you know, bringing in people who are very familiar with, with, um, with these tactics and how not only to deal with it in the moment, but how to be prepared, how to actually initiate and, and complete a response. And then how do you build that back? To where you to where you need it to be, I, you know. As a leader, I think that's the that's the critical critical point. And there's always from everybody you deal with here, whether it's the newest EMT or whether it's an old guy like me, there is something to be learned from everybody. Whether it's from their life experience, their work experience, um, there's always something to be learned. And I think it's it's vitally important as a leader to to really listen. And, and listen to what your folks have to say and listen to what other, what other agencies have to say. Um, you know, with the COVID, COVID's been going on for so long and we've had many of our folks affected by it, uh, you know, and we're, and we're working to still provide a service and at the same time protect our people, which has proved incredibly difficult, though I think we've, we've managed to do it pretty well. Uh, and, and, you know, those are the kind of things as a, as a leader, it's always looking out for you know, looking out for the well-being of your own folks first, and that gives them the ability and the confidence to move forward and, and do their job on their end. Yet more takeaways there, Joe. Active listening is an essential uh, skill, I think, of a leader. I think you're absolutely right. Also, just have to give a plug that my home shop, of course, is across the river in Cambridge at Pro, so uh, we were delighted to welcome you over there. Even though I work remotely, that's my home team, um, and so you went to, to, to Harvard Yard. That was excellent. Also, about tabletops and training, one of the things that uh, I instigated way back when was we, when we have these tabletop exercises, we, we're always focusing on the emergency response on those first few minutes of what happens and what we do. And actually, you just touched on a, on a, on a point and a thought from me is that one time we decided to have a recovery exercise, not a response exercise, because the response can take, you know, 15 minutes to, you know, 24 hours. The recovery, think Katrina, think aftermath, can take a long, long time. And sometimes we kind of forget to worry about that bit because, you know, there's everything from citizens, put the population at risk, uh, everything from, you know, policing, security, hospital transfers, hospital failing, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think my takeaway from that and my input to this is also make sure you have a recovery exercise to think about the longer term effects because of course it is another logistic issue because you've got to staff this. If you were if you were in New Orleans after Katrina, you had to staff that for a long, long time and recover. So recovery, I think, is a is an excellent point well made. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we saw it I mean, even if you go all the way back to, to 9-11, it, it was a shock to the country as a whole. And, you know, but we looked at the aftermath of that and how do people recover? Anyone who opened up an envelope and and there was a white powder or what they thought was a white powder inside generated a, a whole new level of fear and, and concern and, and then response for us. And, and 
when you go back to the marathon bombing, you know, we had those scenes cleared and all the critical patients transported in, in way less than an hour. Um, yet it was a week long event. Uh, how, you know, it was a gigantic crime scene that took up a major part of our, of our downtown and, and law enforcement locked down much of our equipment, uh, not the ambulances, but certainly any piece of medical equipment that was at, at the scene that may have been left behind our medical tents, our, our gator units, um, everything got locked down. And, you know, and then a couple of days later, uh, the president decided to come and visit, um, you know, in an attempt to help heal, which I, I think he actually did occur. But but that takes resources as well. It takes law enforcement resources. It takes an EMS resource to, to be part of that package, uh, to, you know, to do a, a, a presidential detail, so to speak. And, and so it, it really was until uh, Watertown, which was where they, they captured, you know, the, the surviving suspect, um, I, I was actually the EMS commander there on scene that, that Friday night. Um, very tense, very chaotic scene. Um, but again, it was one of those things where I knew who was in charge. I knew who was running the operation. I knew most of the people, but there were many agencies, even from out of, outside of Massachusetts, that were present. Uh, I mean, my team had um, four New Hampshire state troopers as our force protection uh, that night. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's it's the same kind of thing where you, you have to really look at it in the long term. And, and we, the city was shut down pretty much for the entire time. There was no bus traffic. No, uh, no public transit. Um, many roads were closed, and 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 yet our folks and and other public safety folks were were still out there doing their job like they they have to do every day. Joe, this last uh, half an hour has been a masterclass, and thank you in command, control, coordination, communication, and actually getting ready for any future events, and of course uh, just being a great leader. So thank you for that. We're about on time, believe it or not. Time does fly when you when you have a a, a good chat with a, with a great mate. Excellent. But how can we follow you in the future? Well, I mean, at this point, uh, I'm, I am on Facebook. Uh, I am on Twitter. Right now, it's under uh, BEMS Ops, and, and I have just, you know, my name uh, as a regular account. But I, my plan is, is going forward, I'm going to keep my hands in EMS and, and hope to still contribute uh, some of the experience and, and knowledge that, that I've gained over the, over the decades, really, at this point. And, and certainly you and I have always had a great relationship and I'm, I'm sure that will continue. And, and really, as I, you know, as I prepare to, to depart this, this phase of my life, really for me, uh, despite all of the things that any EMT or paramedic goes through in the course of their career, really what I value the most is the friendships and the, and the relationships that I've developed with not only the folks in my own agency, but so many other agencies and so many other disciplines um, across, you know, across many, many uh, groups of people. And, and those those relationships are, are incredibly valued to, uh, valuable to me. And I will uh, and I will do my best to keep those uh, to keep those in place. Just be rest assured, mate, you haven't heard the last from me. So we'll, we'll, we will be staying in touch. Anyway, uh, you can follow me as usual on over on LinkedIn or on Twitter at UKRobL1. Uh, Joe, for the moment, it's been an amazing chat. It's been a leadership masterclass. Thank you so much. All the best for the future. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. And thank you. 
thank you for all your help when I when I spent some time with you and your folks when I was in Richmond a couple of times. Again, it is always something to be learned into how to uh, how to look at how to, how does somebody else do something and can we make our our ours better on our end and and that exchange of information is uh, is uh, is a really important really important facet to uh, to leading any any agency or any organization. So. I will, uh, I'll still be out here in EMS in some form. I don't know where that'll be yet, uh, but trust me, you'll, you'll see me out there. In the words of the great Peter Antovy, it's all about the R&D, the ripoff and duplicate of good ideas. <laughs> and so uh, we, we, we love a bit of R&D here. Yeah, exactly. So that's it for today. Uh, if you're listening on the channel, hang on for just one second, because Chris and Kelly will be along with uh, Inside EMS and uh, their unique take on life in our amazing profession. But for the moment, uh, that was Joe O'Hare. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.